A few weeks ago, I was listening to the radio, and I heard a psychologist speak about um, the orphans in Romania, little babies who now had been adopted by um, American parents. And what the psychologist was talking about was that because these little babies had grown up in such a deprived way and um, through their babyhood and, and toddlerhood, they had not bonded correctly. They had no one to bond with. Um, you know, being, being orphans, of course, they could have bonded with someone else, but the situation was such, as we know, that there wasn't anyone to bond with. So they were enormously deprived of the opportunity to bond. And now, it seems that they're a little bit older, maybe seven, eight, nine. Their situation is such that they can't bond now. Um, you know, they have enormous psychological difficulties, and they can't really connect with, um, with other children all that well. And I guess they also have some difficulty connecting with the parents that have adopted them. So, at the end of speaking in this way about, about these, these little children, the, the psychologist concluded by saying that um, this was called an attachment disorder, that these children couldn't attach. And as you know, or I think as you probably have to know by now, the Buddha said an awful lot about attachment. He said that um, nothing whatsoever should be attached to and that, and then he put it in a very strong way, whoever had heard this core phrase had heard all of his teaching, whoever had put it into practice had practiced all of the teaching, and whoever had received the fruits of practicing this point had received all of the fruits of the Buddha's teaching. So, um, not to make a big story out of this, this term, attachment disorder, because it's a, it's a psychological phrase that I'm sure comes in very handy. But it sort of brought up the question for me about the difference between attachment and connection. And I think as women, sometimes there's a little bit of confusion between what connection is and what attachment is. I think sometimes when men get confused, it has to do with um, some confusion between what non-attachment is and what indifference is of the difference between non-attachment and indifference. These are huge generalizations, of course. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> what I would like to talk about tonight is to reflect on the difference um, between attachment and connection. Mindfulness is connection, another way of of speaking about being mindful is to speak about being connected to ourselves, to whatever is in front of us, to our emotions, to others, um, to uh, the world, to situations that we find ourselves in, you know, to be quite intimate and connected with all of life. We speak about mindfulness, but in, actually, in actuality, it is bringing a fullness of heart into everything that is, is within us and everything that is outside of us. It's bringing an enormous um, 
grace and, and fullness of mind, fullness of heart into our life. Being with our life with a sense of reverence, touching the ordinary aspects of life, and in so doing, there being a sense of the sacred about what is quite mundane, quite what is quite ordinary. We also touch that which is not ordinary. We touch everything with our fullness of attention. In mindfulness, in connection, there is a willingness to love. We're open to love. We're open to loving, and we're open to receiving love. It's a full flow in all directions. And there is a sensitivity. All the senses are awake. All the senses are tingling. All the senses are, are, are vibrating, vibrant, open to um, receiving a life in its, in its fullest sense. When there is attachment, there's an insensitivity occurring. We're not connected. There's a stickiness that is happening. And there isn't a fullness of heart occurring. There isn't a fullness of mind occurring. The senses are closed off. One sense may be operating. The other ones are not when there is attachment. And so because of this, there is some degree of insensitivity occurring. When there is mindfulness, there is a willingness or a yearning to see, to see clearly, to open the senses and to see clearly how things are. When there is attachment, there is a wanting to get, a wanting to get something out of the situation, wanting to get something out of another person wanting to get something out of ourselves. You know, there's some sense of expectation or demand. With mindfulness, with connection, when there is connection, there is a sense of immediacy about life. We're not so concerned or worried about time. We're not as lost in the past and um, as, as dreamy, in a sense, about the future. There's a sense of of wakefulness or immediacy about life in the present moment. On the other hand, when there is attachment, we are filled with agendas, all kinds of agendas about how things should be. And there is a dwelling. There's a dwelling in our ideas about how the past has been and all that comes with it because, of course, what we have right now in the present moment are only our stories about the past. Now, and those stories may be true and they may be distorted. We also, when there is attachment, find ourselves dwelling in ideas about how the future is going to be based on past ideas, past stories. And we find ourselves investing in these stories and cherishing these stories. And then we find that we're no longer living a very full and complete life. One question, of course, I think a really important question in our practice is to ask, where do we find ourselves dwelling over and over and over again? What is repeating itself? Where do we try to um, find rest? And perhaps over and over again find ourselves bouncing away because it's not restful. It's actually hot. It's actually sticky. It actually is um, hard and solid. 
But I think just, just to bring this up for ourselves as a really important meditative question. What are the themes? What are the stories? What are the actual stories? And this kind of investigation is, is so essential for us because in finding out where we are dwelling, we also can see where we are attached, where there is a holding, where there is a clinging. When there is connection, when there is fullness of heart, fullness of mind, there's a sense of our world expanding. You know, there's an ex- a sense of, in one moment, seeing the entire world or sensing the entire world. There's actually, in a moment of fullness of heart, um, a sense of the timelessness. They, 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 uh, you know, we, I mean, we still get to where we need to go to on time, or else we're kind of having problems in our practice. So we, we do get here on time, and we, we decide to meet others on time. But within that, there's a sense of not being as bound or caught by time. We have really a sense of, of inner space, inner expansiveness. And another reason why there's this sense of expansiveness, other than a feeling of, about the timeless, is that we're considering all of life without leaving anything out. With fullness of mind, fullness of heart, connection, there's a sense of, of um, being connected in a very open and vibrant way. Again, open with all of the sense doors, not closing off any one in favor of any other. When there is attachment, our world narrows in some way. We find ourselves in a very narrow, restricted, and limited inner reality. And we find that we're isolating something or another over something else. We find that we're isolating one aspect of life and trying to make it into the whole of life when it actually isn't. It really is just one aspect. That one aspect may be one particular thought that we're thinking is absolutely, totally, obviously true. It may be one particular strong emotion or feeling that we think is the truth of things. We may get fixated on a particular person or a particular um, relationship and think that's the only one that matters, that's the only one that's for me. And in doing this, in this sense of narrowness or, or restriction, we close ourselves off to the enormity of life. We close ourselves off to there being actually a sense of union a sense of oneness inside that is extended externally as well. We find ourselves attached because we feel separate in some way. But when we cling, when we hold, we find that it doesn't help the separateness at all. It actually makes us feel a lot more separate because it's not real. Yeah, it's not real. When you are isolating one aspect of life over the totality of life, we're lost in delusion in some way. And there is some degree of, of difficulty or angst in this experience. With a fullness of heart, when there is connection, there is a sense of contentment in the present moment. We know that there is enough. 
We know that enough is enough. Uh, One teacher of mine put it like this, that nirvana is knowing enough. Nirvana is knowing enough. When there is attachment, there is a wanting, there's a yearning, there's a longing, and nothing is ever enough. Even if in a conditioned way we had everything that we wanted, and how possible is that other than for a moment or two every million years? But let's, let's just say that we did, that you know, everything was cooperating together and in the conditioned way we had everything we wanted. Still, when there's attachment, uh, it's not enough. It's still not going to be enough. There still is going to be some sense of longing, some sense of yearning, some sense of having to have something or having to have something last. A way to look at attachment is to look at what our relationship is to the results, to the results that are happening, even in a given sitting, to see if there is a a wanting for a particular result to happen. And then to notice that there's a huge difference between wanting a particular result to happen, which has to do with our personal agenda that the world doesn't particularly cooperate with, versus connecting with how things are in the present moment. Such a relief, such a relief. Even when things are really difficult, when we remember to connect in the present moment, and that's all we're asked to connect in. We can't connect with anything outside of the present moment because it isn't true connection. But when we're connected in the present moment, there is this sense of completion, of union, of enoughness. In our relationships with others, we can experience difficulty, we can experience angst. And this is often when we want others to fulfill certain expectations that we have of them. And you know, we, we can see so much that our relationships with others, we can, we can resonate with others and um, we can support others. We can allow others to resonate with us and we can be supported by others. And this is being nurtured. This is yum, you know, this is yummy, actually. <laughs> this, is a, this is a good thing, you know, to, to resonate with others, to encourage that and to allow ourselves to, to um, be resonated with, to support others and to allow ourselves to be supported by others, to, you know, to be receptive in that way and to, to offer uh, connection. Um, and, and very much to enjoy our contact with others. Now, that's, that's really what we are to one another. We're here to be enjoyed by each other. We're not actually here to fulfill one another's expectations. But we really are here um, f- to enjoy each other. And when the attachment is lessened, the enjoyment really grows. And we can see this in our own life. We can see that when there are ideas that we have about how others should be meeting our expectations. Now, these are reasonable ideas to have and oftentimes make a lot of sense. It's just that people aren't here for that reason. And we can see that um, when we are trying to fulfill our own expectations, it's a problem too. 
when we are trying to fulfill others' expectations about how we should be, this is a problem too. Yeah. This is where we get caught. There is attachment in thinking that we need to fulfill others' expectations about us. And of course, the expectations that others have about us, oftentimes they collide. You know, one person has this expectation, another person has another, and they're colliding. And we find ourselves just quite perplexed and confused um, without an inner sense of, of connection that we can rely upon. When connection is lost in relationship, we also lose our wisdom. We lose a sense of discernment. We lose a sense of whether we should indeed continue to have the uh, contact that we're having. We lose a sense of whether we should encourage and continue the contact that we're having. Um, we, We really need to keep the connection going inside, and we need to keep the connection going in all directions so that the wisdom is allowed to thrive. We're really lost when we, when we lose our wisdom. And we lose our wisdom when we lose our sense of connection. A sense of um, trying to be good is when we get quite attached. This is very, very different than goodness. You know, practice does have everything to do with goodness. And one would never say not. Um, you know, we're, we're encouraging a sense inside of the, um, the wholesome qualities of heart to emerge and to thrive and, and to, to be developed. And happiness is only possible in touching that goodness within. But goodness has very, very little to do with being good. Now, and being good has everything to do with image and with how we think we're going to be perceived and with conditioning and with the ways that we think we need to present ourselves to others, you know, basically so that we'll, we th- we'll be loved. But this is really different. This really takes us, takes us off of our own path um, if, if there isn't this clear distinction between goodness emerging and the, um, the, the, re- the real cultivation of goodness within, the touching of goodness within, the emergence of goodness within versus being good which is quite tight and held and attached. In connection, we are being um, very receptive to being loved. We're not only connected to love ourselves and offering love. There's also a willingness to be vulnerable. There's a willingness to receive love. And this is so different than um, being willing to be approved of or being willing to be praised. It's so fragile if we go through our life depending on other people to praise us. Because, you know, it will happen for all of us from time to time, but it's always going to happen as well that we're going to be blamed. And sometimes, you know, on the in-breath we're praised and on the out-breath we're blamed. It can be that fast. And we can be doing exactly the same thing, even. (laughs) It sometimes doesn't even matter. You know, And if we look at our own minds of how we praise and blame ourselves and others, are we to be depended upon? Huh? <laughs> and why do we think that others are more dependable? You know, why do we think that other people praising us is, is more dependable or more of a, ref- a refuge or less fragile? That's not. Mm. In a sense of connection, 
there is a growing sense of inner confidence, of inner faith. Because we can count on it. Mindfulness is something that is inside of us. It's not something that anybody can offer us or give us. And that's a good thing because we get to really sense and know that we have what we need inside. And when we know that we have what we need inside, there does come about this growing sense of confidence. When there's attachment, it's very uncertain, and we find ourselves drifting in an enormous amount of self-doubt and uncertainty because we're relying on other, other people to tell us who we are. We're not experiencing our own life for ourselves in an authentic way with any degree of, of integrity, meaning integration and wholeness. There's a sense of fragmentation when we're expecting others to tell us who we are. When there's connection, in every moment of connection, there's a sense of being empowered. And there's a real sense of, um, of being disempowered when there is attachment or holding. Because we're leaning. Now, something I love about the sitting posture, when we say to sit up straight, and even if, you know, if, when you need to sit in a chair, fine, just don't lean against the back unless you absolutely have to because it's wonderful to have the spine up straight. Now, all sorts of reasons for that. You know, the breath flows more easily. Um, the spine is actually less painful if you're sitting for a long time with the spine up straight. But I think there's an even more significant and important reason to sit up, sit up straight when we can, which is that we're not leaning against anything. We're so used to leaning. We're so used to leaning, and everything we lean against eventually crumbles. Huh? <laughs> has to, has to. And so by sitting up straight, we find something inside that doesn't crumble. We find something inside that truly um, is dependable, that we can lean upon because it's inside. It's not outside of us. So it leaves us in this very strong and empowered place. When there is attachment, attachment is a sense of um, being dependent, wanting to be um, saved or healed in some way by something outside of us. And connection means a sense of interdependence. It doesn't mean independence, particularly, because none of us can get along by ourselves on our own. You know, so there can be a lot of attachment to being independent, John Wayne style, or Jane Wayne style, rather. <laughs> yuck, yuck, yuck. There can be this, this, um, <laughs> this, um, this sense, really, of... Um, I have to do it by myself. I can't accept help from anyone else. I can't accept guidance from anyone else. And that's a real area of attachment, and that, that isn't, isn't great either. So it's not being dependent or independent. Connection has to do with being interdependent, having a sense of our, our interdependence, that we are, are on our own and we're also with others, and there is less of a sense of separateness, less of a sense of, of um, a separate self in interconnection, in that, recognizing that all the conditions are coming together for each one of us to be here. All of the conditions come together every time we, um, we practice, or every time we're in a group of people. 
It's always a sense of interdependence. When there is connection, we are able to move with the flow of life. We are able to move as things change. And we had better be able to do this because everything is changing all the time. You know, everything is shifting all the time. And we learned through being connected to be able to keep up with ourselves. If we don't keep up with ourselves, there's a sense of being rigid or not flexible or lagging behind or hurrying ahead. A couple of years ago now, I think it was a couple of years ago, I experienced the death of someone I had um, helped with meditation for 10 years. This person died, and I was helping him with the practice through his death. And what was so interesting for me was that there were a lot of different feelings that arose when he died. And what I saw was that it was really just a matter of keeping up with the feelings. In other words, you know, when, when, when things that are very powerful happen, there's sometimes a bittersweet quality about it. You know, it's, it's terrible, and yet it's wonderful, and yet it's, it's great, and yet it's horrible, and yet it's, you know, many, many different things are happening. And then nothing is happening, and then something is happening. And to be able to keep up with, um, with the moment, to be able to keep up with the internal changes, uh, instead of attaching to, I should be feeling this way, or why aren't I feeling this way, or I did feel this way, and so I will feel this way. But instead of that whole story, just how are things right now? Ah, how are things right now? Ah, how are things right now? So keeping up with the flow of life, um, you know, the enormous changes externally in any, anybody's life, but also inside, you know, the internal changes that are happening all the time, all the time in, in every cell of the body and the mind. So being flexible and and adaptable inwardly. Connection leads to insight. That's the direction. When there is connection, there is contact with things as they are. When there is contact with things as they are, we are able to learn from our experience. Instead of being crushed or overwhelmed by our experiences, we're able to learn from our experiences. And so, Inner sight comes about, insight comes about, inner space comes about, and it only leads to greater joy, to greater peace, to greater happiness. On the other hand, when there is attachment, definitely it's a path of difficulty. It's a path of suffering because of the rigidity, because of the holding, because of the isolating one aspect of life, thinking it's the totality, um, there is bound to be delusion. And in delusion, there is always angst. There is always some degree of discontent. We find ourselves hurt. We find ourselves burnt over and over again because we're trying to hang on to that which is changing. And that includes everything. That includes everything. We're going really against the flow of nature. And how, how could we think we're the only ones who get to go against the flow of nature? <laughs> you know, I mean, none of us are exempt from being nature, from being flowers, from being trees. And um, we're part of it all. We're not separate. And so to go against the flow is clearly going to lead to difficulty and discontent, is not a path of happiness. 
With attachment, our habits actually get reinforced because we do the same thing over and over again because we're not learning. Yeah. When there's attachment, we're not able to learn from our experience because the mind is rigid and holding and tight. And so, of course, we have no other option other than to repeat things. Even if they don't work, we tend to repeat, 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 and our habits get reinforced. Whereas when there is connection in the present moment, there is direct contact with life itself. And so we're able to learn on our own. You know, wisdom emerges on its own for us. It's very available. It's very available in the present moment when we're willing to connect. The bamboo forest Zen master, don't ask me who that is, but (laughs) said, everything I touch becomes new. Everything I touch becomes new. And this is a great description of mindfulness. When there is connection, there is newness in life. There is freshness of life. And we are not reinforcing the same old thing. We aren't simply going around and around in the same tight circles of habit. And there is a newness in this moment in our touching. And when I speak, it's it's not like like next sitting or tomorrow or next 10 years. It's really right now. Right now, there's something new in our touching if we're willing to touch the moment. Whereas when there is attachment, there is a sense of division and the mind is really quite old. Oftentimes, it feels quite ancient, actually, because it's so rigidified. You know, it's the, the mind has kind of ridges in it, ruts in it. Whereas when there is the contact in the present moment, um, those ruts aren't occurring anymore. There's, there's a new life, a fresh life that is available to us. In moving from attachment to contact, First of all, just to look at a few areas of attachment, just to mention a few areas of attachment, remembering that attachment always has to do with wanting things to be a certain way, even though they're not. And connection is being with things exactly as they are and seeing if we can learn the lessons that, the lessons of happiness that come out of being with things exactly as they are. So attachment to the body, Christina spoke a lot last night about attachment to the body. But just, you know, just looking at the areas of, of how we want the body to be a certain way, how we want it to always feel good, how we want it to never get old, and how this is the way the body is. In connection with the body exactly as it is, um, we can learn the lessons that the body has to teach us. The same thing with, um, with mental states or with emotions. We can see that when we're attached to having particular emotions or particular mental states or particular thoughts, we're really kind of sunk because everything is out of our control. Thoughts and emotions and mental states arise in their own time, in their own way. They last as long as they want to. And we have very, very, very little to say about it. 
So in letting things be, which is connection, in accepting exactly how things are, there is immediately a wise relationship with the experience of body and mind. And this is what is possible for us in connection that is not possible in, a, in attachment, in wanting things to be other than the way they are. We can also get quite attached to views that we have about ourselves, opinions, beliefs that we have about ourselves. The Buddha said, there is no view of self one can take refuge in that won't lead to anxiety, exhaustion, sorrow, and suffering. I love the part about exhaustion. (laughs) It is exhausting to have the variety um, and deeply held opinions and views that we have about ourselves. It really does kind of tire us out and does, of course, lead to sorrow, to suffering, and certainly to anxiety, certainly to anxiety to hold um, the various views that we may hold about ourselves, about our limitations in life, about who we are as human beings, about the emotions that we're never going to be able to let go of, uh, that everyone else can let go of but us, um, about our insecurity um, as yogis, as meditators, our insecurities in the world. Um, yeah, it's all views. It's all opinions. When we look more deeply, when we're connected in the present moment, there is the possibility of being connected to that which is not a view which is not conditioned, which is not merely an opinion. We have the possibility of truly being connected to Buddha nature, to our true Buddha nature, to that natural peace within. This is what is possible for us in our willingness to let go of our attachment to views and opinions. And not, again, in this very global way, I'm going to let go of my attachment to views and opinions. I mean, good luck. But in the present moment, in each moment, we may notice that we are holding a particular idea or limited sense of who we are. We're holding a particular opinion, something that someone told us a long time ago, something that we've told ourselves time and time again. And in the moment, the willingness to let go opens us up to seeing things a little bit more clearly. Again, that which is not an opinion. That which is not an opinion can be contacted in a very real way when there is the willingness to connect. And what it has to do, of course, is connecting with the views and opinions. Because if we connect with the views and opinions, we see that they're not true. We see them pass away. We might have to connect with them 10 million times. I mean, I'm not saying it happens with one time. Oh, yes, you know, seeing this view and then it drops away. It drops away for a moment and then it comes back, of course. It's like, you know, those many-headed, the gorgons, I can't remember, gorgons, you know, with the, with the 10 million heads that the person cuts off. It's kind of like that. There's many, many different heads coming up. But the more patience and the more consistency, the more gentle perseverance we have, and the more remembering that they're just views and opinions, uh, the less charge there is when they arise. And so eventually they can arise and no big deal. They can't frighten us anymore. You know, we're not as afraid of them anymore. We're not as, as held by them anymore because we're less attached. And the attachment, the easing of the attachment comes from the willingness to connect to the views and opinions from moment to moment, to connect so that we can see 
for ourselves that they're not true. Anybody, millions of people in our lives can tell us they're not true. You know, people who love us, people who support us can say, oh, it's not true that you're thinking like this. It's not true that this emotion is, is lasting forever. It's not true that you're a totally angry person and everybody's going to, you know, this isn't true. But we may not know this ourselves, and it doesn't matter what anybody else tells us if we don't know ourselves. Our practice offers us, invites us into the chance to know for ourselves that these are just views and opinions. And, you know, the promise is we'll be less exhausted if we, if we do this. <laughs> in moving out of attachment, in learning how to let go, and in remembering more and more to connect, we don't want to pick up another view which can so be so easy for practitioners, which is that, of course, I shouldn't be attached. <laughs> now, this is just another view and opinion, and it can really make things worse. You know, we're in the midst of something that is really strong. We're holding on like crazy, and then we're thinking, oh, but I shouldn't be attached because I should know better. But we are. That's how things are. Can we connect to the attachment? Yeah. Can we allow ourselves to fully see what is happening? Because in the connection, we can feel the pain of holding on. And it's experiencing the pain of holding on that eventually helps us to let go. Now it's seeing, it's feeling, it's experiencing this pain for ourselves that allows us to uh, gently let go. And of course, we all know that um, even when we know that something is really painful, it can be really hard to let go of it. Even if we've repeated it many times before, it can be hard to let go of it. I have a five-year-old niece. Her name is Sophie, or Sophia. She has a sister whose name is Kelsey, who's about, um, who's eight right now. We were all, my whole family was visiting my older sister, who happens to live in Old Lyme, Connecticut, which you um, may or may not know was where Lyme disease um, that's what it's famous for, is Lyme disease. So, of course, I call it old Lyme disease, you know, because in honor, in honor of my sister. But anyway, we were visiting old Lyme, Connecticut, the whole family. And the, the kids, they, um, they run around in the, in the woods. It's really quite a beautiful area of the country. And the ticks like it, too. But there's, it's a nice area. And the children were kind of just running around. And you have to check them. We have tick checks when they come in from playing outside. And every time one finds a tick, it's this huge kind of thing. It's all very exciting. So last time we visited the, the five-year-old Sophie, um, someone saw that there was a tick in her ear. And, um, of course, you know, she thought it was kind of gross having, having a tick in her ear. But also, there's the very, the bigger situation of it possibly leading to Lyme disease. So the tick absolutely had to come out. So um, all the adults got into the act. There were, there were um, six or maybe even eight of us there at that point. <laughs> and, of course, she had her preferences about who or, or who could not um, remove the tick. I was in great favor, which, you know, everybody was looking at me like I was uh, the wonderful aunt. But I realized that it was really just because I don't have any fingernails. And so she thought that I wouldn't hurt her, you know. And I, and I could see her just looking at everybody's fingernails quite, 
you know, looking very big in a five-year-old's mind, these big, long fingernails going into her ear. So everybody did their best, and, you know, she's got this little tiny, tiny, adorable ear, and it was really hard to get the tick out. And um, she screamed every time anyone went near her. So you know how little girls are. I mean, when they're, when they're that age and they're confident and they're, they're um, you know, they feel loved, they're, they're just so full of themselves in that enormously vivacious way. You know, have you ever noticed little girls scream a lot when they're happy? They just scream. It's great. <laughs> so anyway, they, they get, you know, anytime anything happens, they, they, the two of them, they go into these big dramas. So they got into this thing where they, they like my handwriting, so they came to me with this piece of paper and a pen, and they wanted me to write everybody's name down. I didn't know why, but to write everybody's name down. And then they decided they were going to have kind of like a getting out the tick party. So they wrote invitations. <laughs> And then they passed the invitations out, and all this took a long time. And of course, Sophie was delighted because during this time, nobody was running after her trying to get the tick out. So we all got the invitations, and then we were invited one at a time in order of her preference to go into the room and where she was, you know, sequestered like this, like this ailing, ailing person to see if we could get the tick out. So anyway, we didn't get the tick out. And she went back, she lives in Florida, so she eventually um, went back to Florida. And uh, she called me up a week later to tell me they had finally gotten the tick out. The, the tick was in her ear for a week. It was really quite something. So, um, but she's okay, she doesn't have any, any Lyme disease or she's great, she's in very good health. But anyway, it took a really long time because of her fear of the pain that she thought she might experience. And she didn't like the tick. I mean, other than the thing about the disease, she also didn't like the tick being in there. But, you know, this is not so unusual. This is, this is what we do, not with ticks. And uh, with other areas of our life, we hold on because we're afraid of the pain of letting go. When in the pain of letting go, things are so much better. I mean, in, in her case, she was totally delighted when, uh, when the tick finally came out, which I guess they got her when she was asleep at some point. <laughs> hmm. We do let go when we're able to touch suffering more deeply. But I think we have to be very careful as well because these are our vulnerable areas. These are areas where there is a lot of fear usually. There is a lot of desire. There is a lot of anxiety. And so to be quite careful um, in our letting go, to explore these areas with an enormous amount of compassion and without the expectation that we should let go. Yeah? I mean, letting go is, is, brings us happiness, but the should part of it brings us a lot of pain, brings us a lot of suffering. We can live a life that is based not on attachment and desire, and fear. We can live a life that is based very deeply on love and very deeply on connection. In connection, there is no sense of a separate self. There is a sense of union. We are in touch with the, um, the Buddha calls it the, the uh, luminescent and brightly shining nature of the heart, the luminescent and brightly shining nature of the mind.
And we're able, when we're in touch with this luminescence, to respond with enormous wisdom, with enormous compassion, and we find ourselves open to life. Let me finish with a a poem by Mary Oliver. When death comes, like the hungry beer in, in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse to buy me, and snaps the purse shut. When death comes like the mesopox, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades, I want to step through the door full of curiosity, wondering, what is it going to be like, that cottage of darkness? And therefore, I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood, and I look upon time as no more than an idea, and I consider eternity as another possibility. And I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy and as singular, and each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending, as all music does, toward silence, and each body a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say, all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. When there is attachment, we are visitors. We aren't really living in this world. Our practice invites us into life. It invites us into ourselves. May all beings have ease of mind. May all beings have contact with their hearts. May all beings be free from all forms of discontent. Can we sit just for a minute? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.